part of that, if you don't know what the bridge is, it's just the part where we go into something a little different that the, in that song said, in every victory, in every trial, my soul will sing, be lifted high, all glory to God in the good times and the bad. The truth is, church, you know this, we can't actually do that unless we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. It'll be, it'll be false, it'll be fake, it'll, the, this, but this is our testimony right to the world that they see, hey, you're going through this and I see the way you're doing that. It's totally different than what I see everybody else doing. And that is that undescribable peace that only Christ brings, right? Kind of leads us to this thought and of, of where we look at what we're beholding, we become, right? Where our eyes are fixed, where our minds are fixed, what we spend our time listening to and, and watching and reading and people we spend our time with, like that's who we become, right? And so this next song, we're gonna talk about, about our vision and where our, where our eyes are fixed. And fun fact, and somebody can kind of correct me on this because I'm not completely sure of this, okay? But I'm pretty sure I read this week that this song goes back to like the 700, 800 range. It's an old, old, old Irish song, right? This is like the oldest songs we sing at all, like in our church catalog, which is so cool. But this 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 song is an Irish Irish folk. I'm sure it wasn't the right, the same tune that they sing, but the men of old, old uh, Christians of old have sung this, prayed this same prayer that we're about to pray. May that encourage you, and may we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ and allow him to be ruler of all. Sing. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. God be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day. Keep your sleep 
place for us to begin this morning. No matter what it is you've brought with you today or whatever you might be carrying, the God ready and willing to take it from us. Those things that are between us and him, that are distracting us from him, he's here to take it away. We push it aside, if you will, so we could spend some time with him this morning. We could hear him. We could recognize his presence. Celebrate a God who loves us. Go to prayer today. Let's keep that thought very front of our minds and our hearts this morning. Father, we hallow your name. We lift you up. We take the correct posture that allows us to worship you. As you shine, Lord, your light upon our lives, may it reveal the things in our lives, Lord, that are keeping us from you. They're perhaps distracting us, causing us to wander. Lord, those things that you shine your light on that don't belong there, would you take them away? They don't, Lord, help us. Perhaps we've become attached to them and we struggle to let go of them. But Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to release our grasp. To surrender to you all, Lord, that keeps us from you. We don't want to miss it. We sing the words more of you. Lord, but to mean them means we might have to take some steps, take some action. Create the space for you to do what you do best. Lord, I also pray you would remind us that all that's good in our lives, all that's good about us, all the good things we may do, it's because of you. Not because of who we are or what we've done or what our abilities, uh, where they might lead us, but because of who you are. May we see that this morning as well. You are the good. You're also the redeemer of the not so good. This morning, Lord, we don't want to miss out on what you have for us today. Pray for the weary, the tired, the lonely, the distracted, the burdened, the one who just weighed down, the hopeless God today. Might they hear your voice and sense your presence. Pray for the one who needs a physical touch from you. For a long time and waiting on an answer, may they continue to be faithful, to trust you, to surrender to you. For the relationships, God, that are broken and need reconciliation that only you can bring. The words, I'm sorry, might come difficult, but they need to be said, need to be heard. For the mothers and fathers, Lord, that are struggling with being parents in this world and culture today, give them strength and boldness. Lord, for the one who's wandered today, they're here, no better place for them to be. Draw us close, draw them close. Help them to know, Lord, you're waiting with open arms. Because you love us. Because you sent your son for us. Lord, we can walk in relationship with you. God, we want more of you. Help us to hear you today. Have your way and your will among us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. I will admit I'm struggling a little bit this morning with my voice, so bear with me. Maybe you're thinking I won't go quite as long today, and you wouldn't be right, so that's okay. But um, or maybe you will be. We'll see how far we get. But I'm uh, excited to be sharing, continuing this, this series with you. Saw a few more fields in our community have been plowed and planted this week, and it goes right in, right in line with what God's been doing inside of us as we continue this conversation that we call dirty work. And what does dirty work look like, and what are the next steps in our process? And we've talked previously about how Jesus invites us to yoke ourselves to him, and his easy yoke, and he'll lead us. And next week, last week, we talked about how love, love demands that we search, and how Jesus, as the Son of Man, came to seek and save the lost. And today we're going to change gears a little bit, uh, shift, uh, go in a different direction, begin talking about sowing seeds. And what does that look like in our lives? And, and where does that come from? Where does the desire to sow seeds come from? It come from a simple word that we call grace. And grace is a word we throw around a lot in the life of the church. But I believe this morning it's one that's often <clears throat> misunderstood and not yet, even in, in the life of many of us, fully appreciated, fully recognized, and fully a part of our lives as we continue to grow closer to God. I pray he reveals to us today what that looks like. Several years ago, my sons were on their tablets playing a game called Dragon Veil. 
Uh, it's easy to tell us first service they weren't here, but they're here at this service, so they kind of, kind of like this. And, uh, one time I had a pastoral friend say I need to have a jar, and every time I use my kids in a sermon illustration, I should put a dollar in that jar for their college fund. And that might have paid one way through school by now, but uh, they're playing their, their game Dragon Veil, and, and one afternoon I started getting these alerts on my phone that my credit card was overextended. Upon doing some further research and calling them, I, they communicated to me that I had spent $4,000 on Amazon. I didn't spend $4,000 on Amazon. Did a little bit of research further and found out that over the last three days prior, my sons on their game, Dragonville, every time a pop-up would say, would you like to buy 100 gold bars for $50? They would click yes. Or 200 for $100. And we had about 50 different charges that totaled $4,000 on my credit card. Now, if you've ever signed up for any kind of app or service online, there's, you, you scroll through the fine print, and I know, I know you guys read it all, right? I don't read it. I flip to the bottom and I click, yes, I accept the terms of this app. The terms said I was guilty, that I owed the money. In my mind, I'm thinking, I don't have the money. There goes family vacation. There goes new tires for the van. There goes, I mean, all, just a myriad of things I was listing that were going to have to be pushed aside to, to pay a debt that I couldn't pay. And then the lady on the phone says, well, sir, we see this is the first time this has happened. And we do offer grace to parents. We will forgive this debt. And with a click of a button on her screen, she erased $4,000 that she said I owed, refunded it to our credit card, extended mercy. Now, justice would say that I had to pay the debt. I had actually, I clicked the button. I said I was responsible. I hadn't turned off the one click purchasing on their tablets. That was my mistake. I was guilty. I owed the money. Or rather, they owed the money. But they extended mercy. The debt was forgiven. And this is kind of this preliminary lead-up to this idea called grace. I understand the lady on the phone, her response wasn't given out of love, but out of rather being providing good customer service. They wanted to keep me as a customer. And I've probably since then, I've spent more than $4,000 on Amazon, not all at one time, but my wife likes Amazon. And the Amazon driver knows our house well. And while our response may look similar, our motivation is different. We're motivated from love. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, we've been sharing each week during this series, this conversation. Jesus replied to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is where it all begins, Jesus says. It begins with love. Love God with everything you have. And then he continues, and the second is like it, meaning it runs in parallel with it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the significance of Jesus making this second statement, he's implying that we cannot love our neighbor without first loving God. And you can't love God without also loving your neighbor. It works together. And through the words of Jesus, this is how it's supposed to look. Then he continues, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything we read at this point up in, in the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, everything they've been practicing, all the rules and regulations, the traditions of their faith, hung on this idea, this motivation of love. Love has to come first. So it begs the question for us today, how do we love our neighbor? What does that look like? If you've ever read the book by Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages, there is a love language that we naturally speak or, or, or how we best love others. That's how we love one another. We, we like to love a certain way. We're wired a certain way to love people in a specific way. That's a love language that we speak. However, there's also a love language that we hear or ways in which we receive love best. Now, if you're married, you may have encountered over the course of your time married to your spouse some, some moments of uh, say unappreciation, if you will. When you're loving your spouse in a specific way, in a language that you speak, and they're just not hearing you. They're just not receiving it. And, and they feel like, well, they don't really love me because we're not speaking their language or vice versa. 
What you have to learn in a healthy marriage is to speak your spouse's love language so that they can hear and appreciate how much you love them. We get to choose in some of the relationships that we have. However, as we continue through this idea of, of dirty work, we have to come to this realization that we don't always get to decide what love looks like or where God's going to send us. Now, here's what I do know. Our God's smarter than we are. He's not going to send us somewhere that we're not capable with his help of loving. He's not going to ask us to do something that's impossible for us to do without him walking beside us. Three weeks ago, we talked about being yoked to Jesus. He's always with us in the fields. He's leading us. He's going to lead us to the people who can benefit from what we have to give, from what we've experienced, from our stories, from our testimony. That's how he works. He's that creative. He's not going to waste his time or my time or your time. He's going to take us to the one who needs to hear our message, to be loved the way that we can love. That's what he does. He's intentional. He's purposeful. Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 through 38 and he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus says, follow me into my father's fields. Be yoked to me. Learn from me. My yoke is easy. We love, church, because love is the doorway to God's grace. Love is how others come to know who he is. And grace is something that everyone needs. Every one of us. But grace is so often also misunderstood. Now, for us to understand grace, we've got to take a step back and talk about two other terms that kind of go together and go to the, with this idea of grace. The first one is justice. Justice is a real thing. And we love the idea of justice. We love the idea of others getting what they deserve when we've been wronged. Right? They've done something to hurt us. We want justice. But when we're the one who's done wrong, <laughs> we don't always want justice. We want mercy. We want mercy when we're going down the highway and those flashing lights and the sirens show up in our rearview mirror. We don't want justice in that moment. <laughs> we want mercy. About 22 years ago, my wife and I were just starting our first uh, associate uh, position at a church in Dayton. At the time, we were living about 40 miles away and we had to sell a house and buy a house. We hadn't moved yet. So for about nine months, we drove about 40 minutes, 40 minutes each Sunday morning to church, 40 minutes back and 40 minutes back in the evening. Did that for, for way too long. But one particular morning uh, on this road, it was a really easy drive. We would go 20 miles on one road and 20 miles north on another road. It was actually kind of strange how simple it was from our door to the church's door. <clears throat> but it was on a road that was a little bit up and down. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, who was much, much younger at the time, didn't like that road, if you know what I mean. And on one particular morning, she showed us she didn't like that road by throwing up all over her nice Sunday dress. And we hadn't learned yet to take extra clothes with us, but we did after that Sunday. So we had to turn around and go back home and change clothes really fast, so now we're running a little bit late. That happens to me now. I'm only four minutes away, so I think I can still get here on time. But at that point, we couldn't. So I am racing down the same road that we'd just previously been on. And there's this car in front of me, someone on their way to church who had left on time. They weren't in as big a hurry as I was. So I went to pass them, and I had to speed up to pass them. As I'm getting pulling back into my lane, there comes a sheriff cruiser over the hill. The lights went on immediately. I was guilty. That's the only time I've ever sped. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. He pulled me over. Oh, and you see him pull or turn around behind you, and you're just like, oh, but I'm guilty. I knew it was coming. And he comes, he asks for my license registration, says, well, sir, where, where are you off to in such a hurry today? And Pastor, I'm on my way to church this morning. <laughs> I'm a little bit late today. Yeah, a little humbling. Comes back a few minutes later, says, sir, I'm not giving you a ticket today. Go, oh, thank you, officer. That is fantastic. I so appreciate that. And he goes, oh, no, I want to give you a ticket. But the law says I can't. What a great law! No, he goes on to explain to me, I'm not allowed to cause due delay to a minister on his way to service. I'm thinking, that's fantastic! I wish I'd have known that three months ago! <laughs> I get to church, 
found a police officer friend that attended our church at the time and explained him what just happened. I'm just so excited. I can't wait. I'm just testifying to God's goodness. And I didn't have to pay the ticket. And he kind of laughed as well. If that had been one of my men, they'd have given you a ticket. Because because the law reads they can't cause you delay on, the, on an emergency, on your way to the hospital, to a funeral, or to someone who's in a dire situation. You're just late because you're late. That's your fault. And he's right. <laughs> he's right. It's still a great law. And uh, we, 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 we received mercy that day. Didn't get a ticket. I deserved one. I was guilty. I should have been given one. But I didn't want justice, did I? Justice is a funny thing. It's something we should be careful with. But justice is necessary also in the spiritual world. And God, being God, needs justice. And he meets this need for justice through Jesus Christ on the cross. See, Romans 6, verse, 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. It's a price that must be paid. If we have sin in our lives, which we all do, the result of that sin is death. And that, there, there, that's, a, that's a cost, that's a debt that has to be paid. Because God being just simply cannot ignore our sin. Some might say that would be easy for him to do. If God would just ignore it, we all could live happily ever after. But if he ignored our sin, stay with me here for a moment, it would change who God was. God requires justice. Because without justice, without justice, mercy is meaningless. And without mercy, grace has no impact on our lives. We have to have justice. God demands justice. But God also loves us. Because he so loved the world, he sent Jesus, his sinless only son, to pay the wages of sin that we wouldn't have to. He died on the cross in our place, because that's what we deserved. That would be justice. Jesus pays our debt and fulfills the need that God has to be just. He does that for you and for me. Because of that truth, now the next steps begin to make more sense for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Because of his great love. God, who is rich in mercy. The word rich, plusios. Plusios means wealthy, abundant, more than enough. Because of his mercy that was abundant and there was more than enough of it. Because there's a more than enough mercy in our heavenly father. We're made alive in Christ even when we're dead to our sins. Now, the word dead means dead. Without breath. Lifeless. When we find ourselves immersed in sin or living with sin in our life, we live a lifeless life. Devoid of breath. I love the word that we read at the end. It's by grace you have been saved. Saved. Such a simple word. Sadzo in the Greek. Sadzo means to be delivered, don't miss this, from what we deserve. What Paul is saying is by grace you have been delivered from what you deserve. You've been delivered from the, the wages of your sin. You've been delivered from death. You've been invited to life. This isn't just. That's not right. But that's how much God loves us. Receiving what we don't deserve. You like that? Justice is getting what we do deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And here we see it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It is by grace you have been saved, delivered from what you deserve, given what you don't deserve. Because of mercy, our sins are erased. As far as, as the east is from the west, Psalms 103 tells us, we do not get what we deserve in Christ, and God is still just. And church, this is good news. Mercy is this beautiful gift from God. But for many, where it stops, we don't go any further. If we stop with justice and mercy, and we don't take the next step, we miss out on something incredibly beautiful that God has 
It's where the rest of Scripture becomes meaningful. See, God goes one step farther. He offers not only life in Christ, but life with Christ. Loving relationship, one of blessing and favor, but one we have to agree and choose to step into. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can I repeat that? This is really good stuff. God made him who had no sin to be the sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Pastor Kevin Harney says this is why we get dirty. We become a living expression of God's goodness, grace, and glory. This is why we follow Jesus into the fields, because we get to become the righteousness of God. If we just stop with mercy, then we, by our own desires and choices, are not going to choose to go any further because it's hard. It's messy. It's inconvenient. It might cost us something. But when God takes a step further and we choose to go with him, when we yoke ourselves to Jesus, we follow him into the fields, and we become the righteousness of God. And that is grace incarnate in our life. That's beautiful stuff. That's powerful. That is God honoring that is, brings glory, and that is graceful in so many beautiful ways. That's why dirty work matters. It's why we have to understand grace. Until we do, we always stop short of being God's righteousness, of being and bringing him glory. See, grace fills us. Grace overflows from us. Grace splashes and spills onto others that they too can experience what we have found to be true. Many years ago, I read this quote from Bernard of Clairvaux. He was a monk around the 11th, 12th century. And he shares these words. He says, if then you are wise, you will show yourself rather as a reservoir than as a canal. For a canal spreads the broad water as it receives. But a reservoir waits until it is filled before overflowing. And thus communicates without loss to itself it's superabundant water. In the church at the present day, we have many canals and few reservoirs. In a thousand years since then, not much has changed. In the church today, we have many canals and few reservoirs. We, we don't overflow with grace. And to reach the lost, to, to be a church that, that's not afraid to get their hands dirty and to immerse themselves in, in, in the needs of those that, are, that need Jesus, we have to be willing ourselves to be immersed in the wonderment of God's grace, to be bearers of the good news, to be examples of his mercy, to be seed sowers of hope, of love, of forgiveness and salvation. But it begins with us immersing ourselves in him, as he takes that extra step, we take it with him, and we become filled to overflowing with his grace. It's easy to be a canal, to go and serve and to meet a need and to, to go do a project. That's simple. Difficult, though, day after day after day to lead with grace. We only do that when the grace overflows from within us. Now, we love the idea of the hope that Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 bring to us because of God's great love, uh, because of his, his rich mercies, uh, because of Christ. We, when we're dead in our transgressions, we've been saved. We love that idea. But the very first word of that verse causes us to pause. But, but because of his great love. You've heard me say it once before. I'll say it many times. There's a lot of big buts in the Bible. This is one of them. It's okay. You can laugh. It's kind of fun. But every time we see the word but in the Bible, it should cause us to look backwards. It's referring to something very important. And we don't want to miss what it's referring to. It's easy to love and grab hold of his love and his mercy and his salvation. But what is it he's saving us from? Just go back a few verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul's talking about Satan. He's talking about being obedient to someone other than God, following him, yoking yourselves to him instead of to Jesus. Continues also, 
all of us who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Paul basically says we're all at some point or another lost. We've all chosen to do this. But grace steps into our lives and gives us a choice. Are we going to separate and yoke ourselves to Jesus? It's one or the other. Just as we can't love your neighbors without loving God or love God without loving our neighbors, if we're not yoked to Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 2, we're yoked to Satan. There isn't any middle ground. There's no buts. There's no let me kind of figure out someplace to kind of put a foot on both sides. That's not how it works. Paul continues, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's what we deserve. That would be just. What comes before life? Real life? Eternal life? Reality of death? You were dead to sin. You were yoked to the world. We were by nature deserving of wrath. That would be just. But thank God for Jesus. Thank God for loving us so deeply that he sent his son. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 15. We call them parables. If you don't know what a parable is, it's a story that Jesus would use, using a theme or a means in which the people were familiar with so that he could communicate a spiritual truth. It's kind of a made-up story. It didn't really happen. It could have happened. But Jesus is telling us this tale. And in Luke chapter 15, we see three such tales. It begins with this story of theories of parables about being lost. Remember last week we discussed how the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The lost matter to Jesus. Luke chapter 15, it begins with the story of the lost sheep. We know the account well. There's a shepherd who had 100 sheep. One of them gets lost. What's the shepherd do? He loves the sheep so much, he leaves and goes and searches for the one who's lost. And when he finds it, he celebrates. There's a big party. Celebration. I found the sheep that was lost. We read about the widow with the lost coin. She had 10 coins. One gets lost. She tears her house apart to find the lost coin. She finds it. There's a celebration. She's excited. What was lost has now been found. Then we get to chapter 11. And we read in chapter, I'm sorry, in verse 11. We read in Luke 15, verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. And we often miss this verse. Because what Jesus is saying before he gets into the heart of the parable is that there's two stories here. There's two sons, two responses, two learnings. And today we're going to talk about both of them. And in the midst, we're going to find this idea of grace. The younger son goes to his father. Dad, I think I'd like my inheritance now. Before you die, would you give me what it is I deserve? <laughs> a little self-entitlement there, but you know, the father kind of agrees. Gives his son his share of the inheritance. The son leaves, goes to a distant country, Scripture tells us, where he spends his money on wild living. I wish they would expound a little bit. What did Jesus consider wild living? Our mind kind of raises, we fill in the blanks, we kind of have an idea of what we think that might be. But before long, all of his money is gone. And while, after his money runs out, there's a famine that strikes the land. So he's in this foreign land with, with no family, no friends. The only friends he did have were because of the money that he had. Now his money runs out. He, he's not in a place that's his home. He has no one to turn to. So he ends up getting a job. The only job he could find. And this is how Jesus, when he would do with parables, he would use, often use hyperbole, these kind of extreme uh, situations. And the job that he finds is feeding the pigs. Now, for a Jewish audience, this would be the absolute lowest of the low, because pigs were considered unclean. The only job he could find was feeding pigs, and he longed for, he was so desperate, he's trying to communicate this, this imagery of desperation, he longed to eat the pods, I'm assuming the, the, the corn pods or the empty pods that the pigs were eating, because he was so hungry himself. Now, I love verse 17. Verse 17 tells us, this gives me hope for my kids. It should be for your kids too. Upon coming to his senses, Scripture tells us, praise the Lord, they at some point will come to their senses, we hope. They come to their senses. Says, you know, my dad's servants are eating far better than I am. I think I'll go back home and I'll ask to become a servant of my father. He takes off and heads back for home. So the story goes. We read in verse 20, 
He's got this rehearsed response. He's going to humble himself, trying to get a job, just wants to eat. He's so hungry. We see in verse 20, the father, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father saw him. Jesus sees us when we're a long way off. When we're still apart from him, he sees us. The father ran to his son. Imagine this for a moment. You're, you're, you're coming back home. You've taken half your father's wealth. You've wasted it. It's gone. And you're coming back home, and your dad sees you, and your dad runs towards you. What do you think your dad's doing? <laughs> Probably nothing good. <coughs> the son stands there. The dad reaches, wraps his arm around him, kisses him. I'm sure the son is amazed, but he's seen. Scripture tells us he was filled with compassion. Compassion allowed the father to see the lost state. He passes torn clothes. He passes haggard appearance. To see past the smell of the pigs. Not one I told you so. Son apologizes, confesses. Father, I've sinned against you and sinned against heaven. Before he can get to the next part, the father interrupts. He says to the servants, quick, bring the best robe, not a robe, the best robe, put it on my son. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to party. This was good news. Father saw his son, realized where what was going on, knew that he needed to be welcome back. The embrace, a kiss, a robe, a ring, a sandals, a stake, and a party. Party always follows grace. The son never does get to the second part of his rehearsed apology. He's not going to be a servant. He's restored to the position of a son. This is grace. Justice would have been to put him in irons, to, to pay back what it is he'd taken. Mercy would be just to forgive the debt and to invite him to be a servant. Grace restores him as a son, as his child. And sometimes we stop there. But this is just the first part of the story. The older brother, he's out working in the field. He comes back in, he hears the commotion, he sees the dancing, he asks one servant, what's going on? The servant tells the older brother, well, your brother has come home. What? He's done what? And he's having a party? He killed a fat and fatted calf? Are you kidding me? Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He refused to join the party, he refused to celebrate. The father saw from a distance, ran and embraced. The brother saw him as well. Because he was a canal, not a reservoir, he responded quite differently. He wanted justice. In his mind, grace equated to justice. And aren't you glad that our God doesn't view it that way? Out of his great love, the one who's rich in mercy, we find salvation in the shadow of death. He doesn't deserve mercy, the brother thought. You know what? He's right. From our human perspective, the younger brother did not deserve mercy. But grace doesn't equal justice. God took care of that by sending his son to die on a cross for you. Jesus is not so fast. Don't miss this. We often refer to this parable as the parable of the prodigal son. But as I've learned and as I've studied, I have a different question maybe that you haven't thought of before. Which son is the prodigal? We think it's the younger son. That's the easy choice. But which one is the prodigal? Now, we have to understand what the word prodigal means before we can truly answer that question. And the word prodigal, it doesn't even exist in the parable itself. Prodigal means to be rash or wastefully extravagant. 
giving or given in abundance, lavish or profuse. Both sons rashly wasted the father had given them. Both sons were wastefully extravagant in what they had received. But only one son came back. Only one son experienced grace. So which son was the prodigal? It becomes easier when we can step back and see the rest of the story. Then we see the father's response, and he drives the point home for us in verse 32. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Last week, we talked about how love demands a search. When we love our neighbor, it demands we search for the lost. And tonight, today, we talk about how grace demands joy. Grace demands a celebration. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. Son of man came to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus was sent. We best love, we love when we are yoked to Jesus by sharing seeds of grace, always undeserved, always unearned, giving what the lost don't deserve. That's where grace becomes real. When we immerse ourselves in that, and that comes out of us, then the world pays attention. Many studies today might indicate that the world's losing interest in the church, and that may or may not be true. But I think what the world is losing interest in is the Church of Canals. I still think they're hungry for a church of reservoirs. A church that shares grace. A church that doesn't question motives or, or, or fill in the blanks because we don't respond the way that we think that they should or when they should. When we don't overreact to situations where we feel wronged or slighted, where we give the benefit of the doubt, where we leave with grace. That's attractive. That draws people in. That allows them to hear our story. Not just from a pastor, but hear our story. The difference grace makes in our life. See, here's why we stop, many of us, at mercy. We love the idea of the forgiveness of sins. We need that. We need, we need to be forgiven so that we can begin a relationship. But we don't like that next step. Because that next step requires that we go a little bit further, that we yoke ourselves to Jesus, and we're willing to get our hands dirty. But if we don't take the next step, we never experience grace the way that it was intended for us to live it out. You have some homework this week. Homework? I know you all did your homework last week, right? You got that done? You had homework last week? Yes, you did. <clears throat> Your homework was to spend five days in prayer for someone who was lost apart from Jesus. To pray about how you could then step into that person's life to love them in a way that was unexpected. To spend time with them. Just to spend time in God's words, seeing how Jesus in the Gospels loved the lost. This week we take the next step. You have two parts to our homework this week. Drink deeply is the first part. If, if you're not experiencing grace in your own life, in your own soul, take time this week to drink deeply of God's grace for you. Spend time meditating and memorizing Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Let the truth of God's grace capture your heart. Once again, quit being a canal and choose to become a reservoir. Immerse yourself in God's grace. And once you've done that, and once you've drank deeply, once you have been filled to overflowing, get reckless. I don't recommend this very often. We get spiritually reckless. Think of one extravagant, undeserved act of grace you can offer someone in your life who's not a follower of Jesus. Offer forgiveness. Offer to let go of a debt that's owed to you. Offer it prayerfully with no strings attached. And if they ask why, they probably will. Tell them about the grace you that's the door God opens. We are willing to go into the very situations that we live out, allow God to work through those, leading with his grace. Now we're going to celebrate today because we have someone in our midst who has, was lost, has had some rough chapters in his life because of God and his goodness. 
He has received multiple, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, and he's accepted mercy. He's found forgiveness. And today we're going to celebrate this next step in Jose's life. And Jose's going to come, and we're going to baptize Jose this morning. He wasn't able to be with us last week. And we're going to celebrate what God is doing in Jose's life. Because grace demands a party, church. Jose, have you accepted forgiveness of your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you asked God to forgive you? Yes. Do you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning? Yes. Do you want to live your life in a way that that brings honor and glory to God and becoming his righteousness in all you say and do. Yes. I'm going to have you sit down, my friend. For your testimony of faith, slide up here for me. <clears throat> Jose, today, hold your nose. The pleasure and honor and a privilege to baptize you in the name of Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Go ahead. Say it up for me, buddy. Churches is grace. We celebrate it. We cheer for it. And we clap because it's good news. Right? That doesn't mean life's going to be easy for Jose. That's right. Come on now. Good stuff. Okay. He's still going to have struggles. That's where we come in. We walk with one another, don't we? Each of us have struggles. They look different. They sound different. But we're not alone. We're in this together. There's a party going on. The, the older brother was invited in, but he chose not to go. We are grace bearers. We say yes. We celebrate. Stand with me. <laughs> you have some homework to do. I'm not going to keep you. I'm going to send you to it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the story of your grace that we just got to be a part of. For my friend, willing, eager, and anxious to celebrate what you've done in his life. Now, God, may this be a, an example, a testament, a motivation for us, a reminder for us, not being canals, but to immerse ourselves in your grace, be filled to overflowing, so that others, God, may come to know who you are. May receive your mercy, forgiveness. May be invited into a relationship, into a walk with you. Lord, as we share our stories together, may others be attracted to our message, to the good news of a God who loves them. Our salvation is available to all. Saved from what we deserve, to be given what we don't deserve, have the opportunity to walk with you. You've given us our homework, Lord. Help us to yoke ourselves to Jesus, to go where he leads us, not be afraid to get our hands dirty. Those seeds of grace, hope, love into a world that needs us more than ever. In Jesus' precious, matchless, powerful name we pray. Amen. And God bless you. You have your homework. Have a great day.